All right, welcome back. Uh, it's been a long time since we have recorded this show uh, for various reasons. Um, we have a new setup this time around where we used to meet in person, Mark and I, and now we're actually recording remotely uh, with the same model of mic, and this is our first go with that particular setup. It's actually been since October 2020 since we released an episode. Uh, the good news being that uh, this show is no longer current. So one of the positive things about reviewing an old show is that even if you wait a little while, it doesn't run away in front of you. So um, we're going to start off with uh, a synopsis here for episode nine. Episode nine is called Class Pre-Reunion. And the synopsis on Disney Plus is actually really good this time around. And I don't think I could have captured it any better. It says, Mr. Feeney fouls up Corey's dream to become a professional baseball player which I think it's just the perfect encapsulation of this without giving away any spoilers. Oh, man. Foul. <laughs> wonder if that was intentional. <laughs> no, no pun intended, of course. Um, oh, yeah. So our opening scene is uh, with Corey in his living room, and he's using a camcorder. And uh, as, as he says, he's trying to demonstrate the plight of the middle child. And Corey's parents, Amy and Alan, come down the stairs with his little sister, Morgan, to take her to a party. So she has a, a new dress and is wearing a gold necklace. He starts talking about how she's spoiled. And the youngest child is getting everything while him as the middle child is pretty ignored. And um, he complains that he was grounded in his room the night before. Uh, and his father interrupts and says, like he leans into the camcorder that Corey's using to, re to record the scene and says, Morgan didn't call Canada to hear people speak canadian i think specifically yeah, to talk funny yeah yeah and i think specifically it was uh saskatchewan which mm -hmm. if i wasn't a hockey fan i wouldn't even know where that is or what <laughs> it is so uh, which is pretty funny amy sarcastically comments uh about morgan's poor exploited brother and uh as they're leaving to go to this birthday party i believe it is for morgan's friend she says bye sorry everybody hates you to Corey. <laughs> Yeah, a little on the nose, right? <laughs> yeah, but so, you were the youngest child, weren't you? Ah, uh, yeah, I still am. Believe it or not. <laughs> <laughs> so, do you feel like you got away with more stuff because you were the youngest? Um, I might have. Uh, so here's what, or, or should we ask like one of your older siblings? Do they feel you got away with more? To get an objective answer, you'd probably have to ask one of them. But what what I do remember vaguely, and what my siblings will remind me about is that if each of us were, we were basically born in two-year intervals. So my mm -hmm. sister being the middle child, my brother being the oldest. And they used to play this game and ask who my favorite was, like, every day. I don't know how long it went on, but I would pick between my brother and sister which one's my favorite sibling. So mm -hmm. I think that automatically puts you in, like, a, uh, you know, kind of swells your head, like, as the as the youngest child. But I'd like to say I was a good kid, <laughs> that, <laughs> that I wasn't too spoiled and, um, you know, Largely grew up with in a pretty, uh, you know, pretty simple life. Never felt like I had anything more than my siblings had. Yeah. So, if anything, and maybe she'll hear this, my sister was the spoiled one because she was the only girl. So she got a lot uh, of like, special privileges that we didn't. And it mainly centered around friends, right? So my brother and I had each other. Uh, and so my sister has, like, for example, brought a friend along on a family vacation, you know, to have, you know, a buddy. So. Mm -hmm. If that makes sense. Yeah, I, I can understand that. Yeah. Yeah. And Mark, so, obviously, you're, you're one of twins. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> a twin. Right. Was it 100% equal? Um, when we were little, yeah. 
Um, okay. As we got older and developed different interests, um, dynamics changed a little bit. But I, I don't think that was because of favoritism. I think that's more because who we were as people. Sure, sure. And also, like, you'll have different bonds with your parents based on interest or whatever, or what's going on in your life, how far mm-hmm. away you move, and things like that. So that makes sense. Yeah, and now neither of us are the favorite because there's a grandchild. <laughs> That's true, dude. Like, um, so I I have two kids, and my parents don't want to see me. You know, I'm just <laughs> a chauffeur for the the stars of the show. So yeah, um, like they, they don't say, "Hey, we want to see you." They say, "We want to see the kids, and you can come too." You know, so yeah, but it also takes some pressure off too, because if I well, show up at their house, they pretty much watch the kids and spend time with them, and I get to relax a little bit. Would you say your daughter's about the same age as Morgan? So she's well. She at one point had to have been right, yeah. but uh, Morgan. Wow, I don't know if she's of school age. I think she is. I, think I would guess like age. kindergarten, maybe first grade. Yeah, and so my like, daughter's seven. Um, so she'll be going into she'll be going into second grade. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, when the summer's over. So the, the, leading into my question, would you ever let um, your daughter borrow a gold necklace to take to a party? Ooh, um, I probably wouldn't, but I think her mom would. Uh, so, <laughs> like, I think Danielle would be fine with it as long as you know she she brings it back safely. So basically, uh, I forgot to mention it. Thank you for bringing that up. This opening scene is introducing our second storyline, our second mm-hmm. storyline. Um, oh, and as this finish finishes up, uh, Alan leaves and asks Corey, you know, to take care of his camera. And so, of course, Corey almost immediately drops it and then says, you know, next up, grounded, as he's doing this little expose. Yeah, um, and he wonders why he can't be trusted. Right. I feel like there's so many shows in the 90s where kids had cameras and they always end up broken. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think I've talked about before how I used to love Saved by the Bell. That definitely happens. Uh, it happens on this. Anytime you give kids camcorders, they break. And, oh, yeah. And, and that gold necklace, that, that, would say, that was a good question mark because... I, uh, my daughter will lose it, you know, like we might trust her with it to go to a party, but I don't think she's coming back with it one way or another. Yeah. I I think that's stereotypical up of like all kids. Like you'd be surprised, like kids lose jackets at school and they'll be sitting there and like the lost and found all year. Yeah. But like, how do you lose a jacket? It's like sitting there (laughs) and kids forget they bring them in. Right. And when you're on your way home and maybe it's 40 degrees out, how do you not recall, how did I get to school today? Oh, right. With a jacket. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. don't keep me warm. It's crazy. So in our next scene, we're in the classroom and they're doing this role play thing. So Corey's up at the, up at Mr. Feeney's desk alongside Minkus. Minkus is wearing a crown to represent King George. And I don't know what kind of hats these are called, but Corey's wearing one of those hats and a white wig that is basically uh, very similar to what you would see in a painting of George Washington. Mm -hmm. They're doing some kind of debate. Uh, I'm not really sure what they're trying to prove, but the topic was taxation without representation. Wait, those three-pointed hats, weren't those the, the, like, a hat trick? Isn't that where that term came from in hockey? Because of the three-pointed hat, three-goal? Oh, my God, dude, I did not know that. If that's I, true, I that's could awesome. be wrong, but I'm pretty sh- I've heard that somewhere before. I've always wondered that too. And I think soccer uh, or professional football, you know, European football adopted the term hat trick first. Because if I'm not mistaken, it's an older sport and they use it too. 
Mm-hmm. So, or unless hockey grabbed it first and then soccer somehow stole it from them. But that is, uh, that is interesting. So um, they're, they're debating taxation without representation. And Minkus says something that I didn't care to write down. And then Corey has this terrible argument that basically says they're just going to get their, their goods from Japan. Yeah. And as Mr. Feeney challenges him on how exactly those logistic was, logistics would work, uh, Corey doesn't really care about the facts and uh, says, you know, history's done. You know, why bother talking about it? And he talks about King George and George Washington and says, is every boring guy in history named George as he's sitting next to, to George Feeney? So, and that, that, uh, that obviously cues the laugh track on the show. Um, yeah, the laugh track's a little bit heavy-handed at times. Yeah, it really is. You know what's funny? Um, there's a lot of shows I can't really tolerate laugh tracks on. So I've been without cable TV for a long time and watched ma- mainly like streaming shows, whether it be Disney+, mm-hmm. Plus, Netflix, or whatever. If I visit my parents, they watch like old episodes of Everybody Loves Raymond, which I used to love. And they also yeah. watch The Big Bang Theory, which I never got into. And the laugh tracks kill me. I can't mm-hmm. stand them. But on this show, maybe because of just the absolute cheese of it and how old it is, it doesn't bother me. Yeah, a little bit more acceptable. Right? For some strange reason. I, I just can't do them anymore. The, the funniest show I've ever seen is The Office, the United States one, you know, with Steve Carell. And yeah. just the awkward silence was just amazing. Like, the, mm-hmm. the comedic timing of that show was so perfect. Definitely didn't need a laugh track and didn't have one. So that's Man, really I'm happens. in the minority with that one. I never really got into that show. Really? Like I've seen episodes here or there, but <laughs> it's it's all about awkward funny. And yeah. uh, I know you you kind of work in an office. I don't know if you've ever had like the the true office experience, but for the majority of us, well, maybe majority strong, but there's a good portion of the United States where they have office jobs, and there's a lot to relate to as well. That could Simple definitely stuff. be part of it because. Yeah. I, I'm a teacher. Like, yeah, like, your office is in front of kids, and then you mm-hmm. have you know a teachers' lounge, and you know I'm not going to speak for you, but probably other places you meet uh, in like, more professionally than than casually. Yeah, you know that would be considered offices, but it is very different. You know, just like, not to necessarily make a direct comparison, but it's like a comedian is in front of an audience, or like an actor, an actress is in front of an audience. You're constantly in front of an audience. Oh yeah, you know with your with your students. There's a new show out called Abbott Elementary that steals the format from the office, but it's placed inside of a school and can definitely find that one a little bit more relatable. That's interesting. Avid Elementary? Abbott, yeah. Abbott. Which is kind of funny because Jim Abbott um, yeah. comes up yeah. later in the show, but we'll get to that. There. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so after Corey complains about history, this sparks Feeney to give them an on-the-spot assignment. At least I think it is, right? Like oh, it definitely it. feels like it. And what's even worse is they clearly didn't finish the lesson that they just started. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> Yeah, the debate ended right there. Corey, Corey controlled the room. It's over. Next topic. Yeah, <laughs> but what they get, they get an assignment, which is to plan um, to plan their own personal histories mm-hmm. as if they were returning for their 20th high school reunion. And uh, we also get an indication that they're the class of 2000. So this means that they're going to pretend they're returning for uh, for the year 2020, mm-hmm. which coincidentally is when we started this podcast, Mark. Yes. Um, and uh, this is where. Uh, Minkus calls it a pre-union, which is pretty clever. And um, and uh, he asks if he can bring a wife to the <laughs> to the pre-union. 
And he indicates it's Topanga. And Topanga is flattered, but says she's not sure she believes in marriage in general. And he does this awkward thing where he says, you know, he's seen the he's seen her future and it's him. So and anytime he says anything remotely romantic, it's just awkward for me. Oh yeah, absolutely. I, I think Sean hit it right on the nose though when when Minkus said that he was gonna uh, be married, instead of saying who, Sean said what will marry you. <laughs> like, like, it's got to be like an alien or something, or like yeah. an octopus. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, uh, our next scene, we're in the cafeteria, and uh, it's Corey, Sean, and that kid, Larry. So, he's called Larry here. He was in the sandlot, as we talked about before. And they're sitting at the cafeteria table, talking about what they're going to be in their future. And mm-hmm. Sean says he's going to be a tire salesman like his dad. And I wrote a little note that says, remember this, because one of the common themes throughout Boy Meets World in general is the fact that his dad doesn't have a job. Or yeah, or, or steady job. employment. Yeah. It was always um, like the next get rich quick scheme instead of putting yes. in hard work. Yeah, I remember some strange things like Pearl Diamond in Portugal or something. Um, <laughs> he claimed he invented the microwave and CNN and all this other stuff in some later episodes. So. Yeah, Chet's News Network. Yes. <laughs> It's so good that you remember that. Um, yeah, so, uh, so in this particular episode, his dad has a job, which is great. Um, it's going to come up again in the next episode, unfortunately, though. Uh, mm-hmm. And Larry's idea for his future is to come back as like uh, as basically a Mr. Feeney clone to kiss Mr. Feeney's butt. And so he's going to come back as a sixth grade teacher. And, uh, and Corey said he's going to be a center, fiel- center fielder for the Philadelphia Phillies. And as soon as he says that, Sean and Larry laugh at him. And Sean says he had 31 errors in Little League last year, which sounds like a tremendous amount because I imagine Little League's only like 20 games, but or 25 <laughs> games. Yeah. And Corey's response to them is to basically think bigger, um, be better than like the average jobs they said they were going to you know, have, like sixth grade teacher and tire salesman. And he does this thing where he says, are we going to be um, men or are we going to be men with lame jobs and Sean responds, we're going to be men. And they all start barking as if they are not going to go with the lame jobs they had mentioned before. So or, with, I shouldn't say lame. That's not fair. The, the, the barking or whatever that was. Do you think that was a, a reference to home improvements or do you think that's where they got it from? <sighs> wow. Uh, it is definitely, Hmm. Cause that I'm came out two like years that. earlier. It's like a so, trope or a stereotype, I guess, where the men bark, especially at that time. Um, yeah. We do it at football games to root for people, or or even if someone's getting up for a graduation, you'll hear guys going, hoo, 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 you know, in the mm-hmm. background. So um, I don't think it was really a direct reference to home improvement. I I mean, just, weren't uh, they both like ABC? So Yes. Yeah, they were. Uh, home improvement wasn't a part of uh, TGIF, like okay. it was, but I think they're on the same network for sure. Well, maybe Disney was just thinking, hey, look, what do men do? They bark. All right. So when these boys want to talk, want to be men, they have to bark, too. Yeah. Conform <laughs> the stereotypes. Right. Exactly. So this next scene I could really relate to. Corey's in the living room with his mom, and he's basically drawing up his future. And he's making a baseball card. Mm-hmm. Uh, and his mom's sitting at the coffee table helping him. This would totally be my mom. Yeah. Anytime I had a project, always contributed. What were you going to say there, Mark? Sorry. No, I, I agree with you. Yeah. Like, it, it definitely feels like an assignment we've all had where we had to make something like that. Yeah, of course. And I, I still remember, like, some of the old projects I I had where my mom helped or 
almost did the entire thing um, <laughs> because she was more artistic. She's also, she's an adult. Like you're just more skilled with that sort of thing uh, and more creative than I am. But yeah, she's always a huge help. And Corey is super excited about this project. He thinks that it's going to impress Mr. Feeney. Um, and he just has an enthusiasm that you usually don't see from him. And I think for a project like this, I would probably feel the same way. I remember in fourth grade, we had to do, uh, don't quote me on the fourth grade thing, but uh, in fourth grade, we had to do a, uh, a biography about somebody. And I chose Joe Montana and I loved it. And I even made a uh, part of my project was to take, took like a shoebox lid and made it look like a field and made that a little like paper Joe yeah. Montana on it and stuck it in it. So look, he's throwing a football and everything. So I had a lot of fun with that. You know, when you get to do a project on something you find interesting. So I have to share a story of like a parent doing work for their kid. Mm -hmm. So um, we are doing, I'm teaching a lesson. Kids are researching for a biography and I'm conferencing with each student. I call up this one student mm -hmm. to see what he has, to see what he needs, to see where he's going. And I'm looking over his information on his Google slides and information just popping up on there as I'm talking to the kid. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. Oh, wait, that wasn't there a second ago. And I could see live his mom doing his work for him. Oh, that's a good mom. But, you know, in some ways, right? Like the, the right thing to do is to make him do it, you know, encourage him or help him along. But you know, she's doing her best for her son, I guess. <laughs> yeah. What like asking like, oh, where did you find this information at? <laughs> oh, wait, <laughs> you don't know. Wait, so what did you do about it? I, I made fun of him. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, it was the research end of it. I made sure he write, wrote his, his assignment on his own and, and things like that. But, like, I, I really didn't make a big deal of it. Okay. That's good. Uh, you didn't talk to his mom or nothing, right? No, I didn't. Okay, cool. Did this project turn out Okay. Oh, uh, man, this was a lot like probably back in January. Okay. Trying to think when I did biographies with them. Yeah. Well, I'm sure it was fine. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, it wasn't a box of choreos, so. <laughs> Yo, that that's awesome. Um, we'll get to that in just a second, too. But I thought mm -hmm. that was a, uh, a great addition. All right. So storyline two starts to, uh, to uh, get some traction here while they're in the living room working on the project, because Morgan walks in without her mom's gold necklace. Yes. So, and apparently she traded it with Stephanie for a plastic necklace. A pretty plastic one. Right. And when Amy asks Morgan to trade it back, she, <laughs> at one point she says, yeah, I traded it, but this one's pretty, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Indicating the golden wasn't. And then when she's asked to trade it back, she says, but we said black, black, no trades back. I never heard that before, but it's pretty funny. I mean, it must be true. It rhymes. <laughs> so uh, Amy almost immediately gets on the phone and calls Stephanie's mom. And she drops her name and says it's Jane. Mm -hmm. She's trying to set things right. And Jane is apparently a bad person and says, basically repeats the black, black, no trades, black thing to no trades back thing. I'm sorry to uh, Amy's mom. And she's doing that thing where she has to repeat everything she says, like in a questioning form. So we hear the other side of the conversation. Yeah. So, yeah, so that starts to uh, move our second storyline here. Danny, so, yeah, like, her husband's a lawyer. We find out later in the episode. Yeah, we do, yeah. Um, Morgan's, what, like, six, seven years old? At most. I think she's five, but, yeah. Her, her like, 
the other girl's father should know that like children under 18 can't be held contractually obligated to anything. <laughs> like they, they could sign something, but they're not contractually obligated to it. So no matter what rhyme they stated, like, <laughs> like you can't enforce the trade. Of course. I, this, this woman, uh, Jane is just terrible. And also she indicates that her, that her husband makes a good living. So why would she care about one gold necklace, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's just... It's, I mean, it was the um, the the emotional part of it, right? Right, the, that's what she says. It's her attachment to it. <laughs> We're kind of spoiling her own yes. content here, but yeah. Yeah. Um, all right, so our next scene, we're uh, back in the classroom, and the kids are just kind of all up and about, and they're role-playing with whatever they say they're going to be, you know, when they return in 2020. You see firemen... Um, Oh, I want to say we saw like a doctor and a few other things and someone who looked like they were, I don't want to say in the circus, but one of those like dancers, you know, with a, just like kind of wear like a single body suit that you might see like in a movie portraying like something in Vegas. Uh, and she had like this tall, like sparkly thing coming off the top of her head. I can't name I, any of it. Yeah. Um, I did not notice that. <laughs> yeah. They yeah, wanted to be like, like a rocket or something. That's it. That's it. Yep. Something like that. Yep. Um, and uh, so as as the room kind of pans and you see these kids, uh, Feeney is talking to Minkus, who explains he did like a leverage buyout of Microsoft, which would have been hard even back then with where mm-hmm. Microsoft was going. And, uh, and Feeney challenges him for stuff that no kid would ever think about, like proof of assets and um, bank guarantees and all these things. And Minkus, of course, just produces a portfolio with all that stuff in it. And without really looking through it or anything, uh, I guess just the thought behind it, Feeney gives him an A, just on the spot. A plus, I think. Right yeah, yeah, and he did that with a lot of students, just like handing out <laughs> grades. He's like not reading anything. He asks him a question or two, but never records it. I, I kind of felt like he was Oprah. You get an A, and you get a B, and you get a C. <laughs> like, yeah, like, it was just ridiculous. What does he do? Like, ask for it back afterwards? You're like, okay, kids, can you give me back the pieces of paper, you know, mm-hmm. your, your project, so I can record the grades you have? So, yeah, it's it's pretty funny. Um, as he's walking away from Minkus, it cuts to Corey and Sean. And Sean did not commit to this be a man thing, and he's just going as his dad. And he also, he's wearing, like, a, uh, a mechanics jumpsuit. He's going as a uh, tire salesman, and he's also has like a pillow or something to make him look fat. And he explains that his his uncle, his grandfather, his dad, they're all fat. So he's like, "Face it, I'm going to be fat too." <laughs> so it uh, it pans away from from those two and goes to Topanga, and she's wearing a toga, and mm-hmm. explains that she is president of the United States, and now that she's president, the. Uh, the competition of fashion is gone. That's why they wear togas to keep everyone equal. And uh, Mr. Feeney comments on her being the first female president. And she says that there are no nuclear arms anymore. uh, So it's less seductive. Mm -hmm. So no men want to be president since they can't start wars. And that all men were moved underground uh, to act as breeding stock. Yeah. Breeding stock. That's ambitious for an 11 year old. (laughs) (laughs) It really is. Uh, also a little strange, this whole breeding mm-hmm. stock thing. Um, imagine if those positions were reversed. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, can you imagine? It'd be horrible. But in this other, in the other scenario, it gets like a woo, you know, from the, the fake female crowd. Mm-hmm. Uh, Minkus uh, reiterates that he's married to Topanga 
and she just snaps back at him and says, "Your breeding stock," mm-hmm. which is just awkward. And he's like, "I'll take it." So uh, yeah, he's going to live underground as the uh, new CEO of Microsoft. Um, we, we still have an Xbox. That's true. Yeah. Well, unless he changes plans, because this was a long time ago. Larry's next, and he is dressed exactly like Mr. Feeney. Like, to to the sweater vest color, everything. He has this exact outfit. How did he know what Mr. Feeney was going to wear that day? To dress exactly like him. Uh, I'm pretty sure Mr. Feeney's a man of routine. Probably wears the same thing on every Tuesday, <laughs> every Wednesday. Yeah, okay, all right, that's plausible. And uh, he even has a fake mustache on. And Feeney at first pretends to be flattered, and then is a few paces away from him and tells him to come over here, you little suck up, and says every year someone does this, which is interesting because it seemed like it was an on-the-spot assignment that he gave yeah. everybody. But okay, he does it every year, so he is he's very crafty that how he comes up with his lesson plans or introduces them, almost like he fished everybody into it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and he asks Larry what a bunch of things mean, like tenure. Um, curriculum. Uh, yeah, curriculum. This is stuff that this kid should have been able to answer. Yeah, yeah and like I would have been fine with the kid doing that for an assignment mm-hmm. if he actually took it seriously, but this kid's like, I'm just going to dress like him and pretend right. to be him, and he'll be flattered, but he right. really put no thought into the assignment. No, none at all. So, uh, after he says he'll look it up, Feeney tells him to, Feeney calls him a poser, but he says poser, like the way he says it. And mm-hmm. Larry, Larry just kind of stands there with a blank face, and Feeney says, go look it up, and Larry runs towards the back of the classroom, and you don't see him again. It looks like he left. Like, he just left the room to go look up Poser. Like, where is this kid going? Wait, wait. Do we ever see him again at all throughout the rest uh, of the series? <laughs> is this the last scene we see him? That is a strong possibility. <laughs> still looking it up 20 years later. <laughs> still, yeah, still trying to find it. Um, all right. So, Corey's next. So, this is our first storyline here. And he's got a Phillies uniform on, uh, down to the hat. And uh, Feeney approaches him. He says he is a center fielder for the Philadelphia Phillies. Um, and he indicates a few things. Like that he says he dropped out of school in the 11th grade uh, mm-hmm. to start you know, playing, I guess, uh, minor league baseball or, or what have you before he, got to, um, before he got to the major leagues. He says he makes $6 million per year. And yeah. this is where Feeney starts to crush his soul. And he says to him, well... You know, in 2020, you know, six million dollars is really an average at best salary. Yeah, he so called it a paltry sum. Did yeah. Did you look up the average uh, salary of baseball? I did not. So did in this year, the average is about like four point four million. Okay. So Feeney was a little close. bit off. Six million is pretty decent. It's and like when good. you consider there's players like Bryce Harper making thirty million dollars a year, and he's not the only one that yeah. says. Quite a bit of players making under that six million or four point four. Yeah, so that's true. Uh, six but, million is doing fairly well, and you know what? Couldn't be much worse than the center fielders the Phillies currently have. <laughs> well, Corey did kind of give you the impression he expects he's a star. Like he's mm-hmm. on. So he also reveals his choreos, which I thought mm-hmm. was pretty that cool. is true. Yeah. So, um, and he he says like. How does it feel to be in the presence of a legend? So he's he's considering himself an all-star baseball player. So to that point, uh, Mr. Feeney's right, you know, in comparison with the salary. So gotcha. Um, and uh, no, Feeney questions. Oh, you know, since you dropped out in eleventh grade, um, you know, do you have any? Uh, he says you have no education to fall back on. Um, like he asks him. Uh, oh, Corey says he has investments to for 
you know, uh, another means of income. And Mr. Feeney challenges, like, who's doing the investments for you? What percentage of your salary uh, do they get? And basically just cuts him down, tells him he has no clue, no education, uh, no skills outside of baseball. And Corey is trying to fight back through this and really can't. And Yeah, it's like kind of digging his own grave and yeah, he giving was. responses to questions he's not sure about. Yeah, and Feeney gives him an incomplete. And mm-hmm. Corey like seeks, you know, empathy and Feeney just brushes him off brushes him off. Even yeah. after Corey says, You took away my future. I just this just seemed like a heartless way to crush this kid. Um, yeah, I, I thought the analogy was pretty good in that scene where he said he got threw out before he got the first base. That's right. That's uh, right. And let me just say the effort he went through. Like, obviously, having the jersey and stuff is probably something he had already, but he had a full baseball outfit on. He made a baseball card. He made up, like, statistics to put on there. He made up the cereal. Um, now he had enough going, you know, in his you know, in his story for his, you know, dream future self, where I thought he should have gotten a good grade. And the stuff that Feeney asked for was totally unrealistic. Yeah, maybe that... <laughs> That freak genius Minkus can produce that sort of thing, but come on. So it, it really all comes down to what the expectations were and what the assignment was right from the beginning. If yeah. the assignment was made up on a whim, then then I agree with you that the expectations would be unrealistic if they weren't conveyed. Yeah. But if like it was outlined with like a rubric saying you need this, 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 and this, and mm-hmm. Corey knew about those things ahead of time. Um, then I, I can understand the the grade of incomplete of not being finished. Like yeah. if like one of the things was how will your assets be managed or what would your money be doing or things like that, mm-hmm. then then I can understand that. But without knowing the the rubric, without knowing how it was graded, it is kind of difficult. And yeah. like we were talking about, it seemed like it was kind of on a whim, even though he does it yearly. Right, right. So you get like, uh, I know it's a short show, but you kind of get conflicting implications for how this mm-hmm. came about. So yeah, if there was like an actual list of requirements to hit, maybe it would have been a little bit different. But the effort was definitely there. The enthusiasm yeah. was there. This was not someone slacking off um, as it did the project. But yeah, it was just like a dream crusher for him. And even, and Feeney definitely got the emotional cues from Corey about it and did nothing to try to make him feel better yeah at all which i thought was odd oh. any other comments about this before we uh, jump to the next scene no the next scene's in the bedroom right where it is um yeah. eric's looking through that magazine and wants that vintage mustang that's right yeah as he's looking through it Corey brings down a poster of jim abbott that he had on the wall uh which is a new york yankees player at that time yeah um, so which man for a phillies fan Go ahead. Sorry. I made that same note in there. Like, what Phillies fan would have a Yankees poster I don't in their know. bedroom? That when when we were growing up, I think it's it might be different now. We were growing up, you're basically told or taught to hate the other team and their players. Mm-hmm. They weren't just the opposing team; they were the enemy, all of them, especially ones from New York. Like, there's just that seemed odd. Uh, and in fairness, I don't remember seeing this poster in his room before. Yeah, it was just added for this one scene, um, mm-hmm. which ends up being like a really cool scene later. Uh, but yeah, mm-hmm. you know, a Phillies fan with Jim Abbott poster. If uh, 
if you're listening to this and you have no idea what Philly fans are like, there's almost zero chance a Philly fan in the 90s would have that in their room. Yeah, so, I yeah. agree. So as Corey's looking through, as you said, the car catalog, um, he's looking at some vintage Mustangs or whatever, something that's relatively affordable. And Corey, who's already been knocked down and kicked while he was down, starts to crush Eric's dreams of having a car, saying, what if you can't afford it? And Eric says, well, maybe dad will help me. And he says, well, what if dad can't afford it? And who's going to pay for car insurance? And he drops the poser thing. He says, Eric, you're nothing more than a poser. And um, and then that's when, when Alan walks in and Eric leaves. He does a little poser joke. He does like yeah. a uh, like bodybuilder muscle pose, you know, for, for Corey um, after he uses that term. And uh, he leaves the room. I think he calls... Corey like uh like a downer or a bummer on his way out mm -hmm. and Corey starts to talk to his dad about his incomplete and he says you know Feeney gave me like an incomplete future and his dad had the absolute perfect fatherly response he basically encourages him and says you can do anything you set your mind to mm -hmm. um and this kind of introduces a tertiary story where Alan's a little bit insecure about uh, his career choices where he ended up, you know, because he didn't reach his uh, career dream like, from when he was younger, um, which will... Yeah, he wanted to build, be an architect, yeah, build bridges. Yeah, he wanted, to, wanted to, be, uh, to build bridges, right. And he says that, you know, as he got older, his dream changed. You know, suddenly he wanted uh, a wife and kids, and that dream came true. But he's asked Corey, he says, you know what my dream is now? That's to be the father of a center, uh, a center fielder for the Philadelphia Phillies. And so um, go ahead. Do you remember what you wanted to be when you were in like sixth grade in middle school? Um, I went through a few different careers as I was younger. I remember I wanted to be like uh, an EMT. I okay. Remember, but I, as I called it as a kid, an ambulance driver. <laughs> 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 I also wanted to be a lawyer at one point. Um, and there might have been another one in there. Uh, mm -hmm. But the, the dream that I would have wanted but never pursued because it wasn't going to happen for me like i was just being realistic was obviously a professional hockey player that would have been fantastic but i knew yeah. really early that wasn't going to happen so yeah and i think like that's a lot of kids dreams to become a professional athlete yeah. but half those kids that have the dream don't even play <laughs> yeah yeah i mean you look at the prestige the uh the money you know the mm -hmm. fun of being famous and also the fun of the sport and yeah, it's something a lot of people would want. I think a lot of kids want to be rock stars, too, but never learn to play a single instrument. Yeah. yeah or never get singing lessons or whatever. Yeah. But uh, but Alan takes the right approach here. And uh, he tells Corey, you know, he still thinks that he's going to have a son who's going to play in the majors one day. And this doesn't encourage Corey. He still walks away pretty much dejected. And mm -hmm. you can tell it's bothering Alan, too, about what happened. So, Which is an indicator of what's going to happen later. Um, so now we're back to our secondary story. <laughs> and this is like the, of the stories we have going on, this is pretty much the comic relief story with Morgan and her mom. So Stephanie came over uh, with her mom, Jane, and Stephanie's going to play with Morgan and Morgan lures her into the kitchen. Oh well, yeah, big time uh, setup. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, <laughs> so as Jane comes in, uh, Amy asks if she wants some coffee and Jane's response is, you're not getting the necklace back. And Amy basically says, don't worry about it. And then Jane does this really snotty and says, oh, then I guess I'll have some coffee. And they do like this fake, disgusting laugh and they sit down together. Mm -hmm. 
So before I go, keep going in more detail. Do you have any comments? About uh, this? No, I just wanted to talk about how terrible of an actor that little girl is. Oh yeah, she's pretty bad. All right, so, oh. um, so it cuts away to Morgan and Stephanie in the kitchen, and Morgan's showing her, "Look at these brownies that I have." And Stephanie not so fast. Like, oh, oh, brownie, yeah, not so fast. And she does it with a My Little Pony, mm-hmm. and there might have been a uh, a third item there. But Stephanie had come in. It's important to mention wearing um, like a purple dress, mm-hmm. the gold necklace she once had. Um, uh, I think she was wearing a hat. Uh, that might be like the third item. So yeah. uh, that's about to change. Um, they go back to Amy and Stephanie, and they're talking, you know, about the the scenario, and they don't want to, you know, kind of, kind of sarcastically, like they wouldn't want the kids to no longer be friends after this. And Jane mentions that her uh, that she doesn't work because her husband's a very successful attorney, and and Amy sarcastically remarks something to the effect of, "Well, I guess that's where Stephanie gets her negotiation skills." Mm-hmm. Um, and then Stephanie comes out of the kitchen. And Stephanie is wearing basically just like an undershirt. Her dress is gone. She yeah. Chocolate all over her face. She has a brownie in her hand, a plastic tiara, and a, uh, a plastic pony. And her mom starts questioning where all of it went. And she says she, uh, she traded it all to Morgan, you know, for, for the brownie and everything. Um, and uh, Morgan comes in the room and she's like, my hat, my dress, uh, you know, my necklace. Mm-hmm. So she has uh, swindled uh, Stephanie back. Uh, yeah, literally the clothes right off her back. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> and uh, and the, the pony comes up specifically and she says, oh, I had to give up something else for the pony. And um, this is where we missed one of the quotes that were important leading up to this. Uh, yeah, but, it's not the value; it's the attachment. Yes, yeah, it's her attachment to it. So Amy repeats that same thing back to Jane, because what got traded for the pony was their car, apparently. And Morgan and her mom both put their hands out, expecting for the car keys to be handed over. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, all right, I want you to rip Stephanie apart for her acting skills <laughs> and any other comments you might have. <laughs> I, I was going to actually compare her acting to Jim Abbott's later on. So, <laughs> oh, dude, oh, we're in total conflict with that. Then I can't wait to get that. You get there, okay? Um, <laughs> do you have any comments that are isolated to Stephanie or the scene without spoiling anything about Jim Abbott? N- n- no, I just wonder if that was okay. a vintage Mustang, Mustang in the driveway oh, that they brought. I don't know. I kind of pictured like. Oh, I was thinking like a van at first for whatever reason, but now that you mention it, since you're so snobby, it uh-huh. had to be like a BMW or Lexus sedan something <laughs> in, that, in that category, right? Okay, yeah. so the scene kind of flips there. You don't really see a total resolution, but I'm going to assume Morgan's that gets to keep her necklace and everything that was Stephanie's gets rightfully returned. So, yeah. Uh, so the scene flips, and it's Eric and Corey in the living room, and, uh, and Alan asked him to come into the kitchen and says, you know, I have someone that I'd like you to meet. And he brings out Jim Abbott, um, yeah. who, you know, at the time was a pitcher for the Yankees. He was on the poster in Corey's room. Yeah. Um, and the, both of them just go nuts that he's there, which is pretty cool. Like, I guess even as a, a Phillies fan or a Flyers fan, if a star player from an opposing team came in, I'd probably be pretty psyched about it. So. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So uh, he brought him there to talk Corey into – keeping his dream alive, basically. Um, and he tells him that he had a lot of doubters. And I did not notice this on my first watch through. Uh, when I, I mean, like, as a child, because I didn't recall it, at least as an adult. And I didn't know anything about Jim Abbott, but he has, like, a... Um, oh, I gotta be careful with wording. But uh, his left hand is fully formed and normal, and his right hand is not. 
Um, mm-hmm. So he had to adapt his play style, which I looked up earlier, where he would pitch the ball and then move the glove to his good hand. Like he would kind yeah. of, yeah, he would hold, uh, he had a left-handed glove and he was a left-handed pitcher, which is pretty unique. Um, well, I don't know if it's, if anyone's ever done that since, but after every pitch, he would switch the glove as part of his routine. Yeah. Um, and he talks about how he threw like a new hitter. Uh, uh, sorry. He talks about how he threw a no hitter, um, and that he had a coach in school and he kind of flips back and forth. Cause at one point he says teacher and then he flips it to coach. But, uh, by the end of the story, it's still coach. He said his coach told him he'd never play in the majors. Yeah. And, uh, Corey asked if he rubbed it in his face and he said, no, but I sent him a video of my no hitter. And Corey's like, well, I bet you showed him. And he goes, well, actually, he showed me. And he showed me a, uh, an application to a school called University of Michigan and said to go along with, uh, with being in the major leagues, he wanted me to have a major league education, too. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, he says basically Corey should keep his dreams. And, uh, you know, and, you know, he has a great dad who lets his kids have big dreams. And also is crazy enough to send someone 63 telegrams. <laughs> and Alan makes a joke, says, oh, you only got 63 of them. And um, Corey asks, you know, his dad, how did you know Jim would show up? And he said, I didn't, you know, but I can dream, can I? Yeah. Um, I'm going to pause here uh, because we get more of a comic relief part in this scene. But what did you want to say about Jim's acting here or anything else you want to I, I thought it was a little bit wooden, almost like he was just reading really? it off. Like, yeah, he had inflection, which was a little bit better than Stephanie's, but like, yeah, it, it just seemed out of place with the rest of the seemed like it belonged more on like a um, full house than boy meets world. So I, I, I'm in complete disagreement with you. Um, I thought that uh, he was natural, especially as just like an athlete who's not an actor. That's he true. laughed at the right times, and it seemed genuine, and it didn't seem like forced. He looked at people, like when he said like, and he's also crazy enough to send me like 63 telegrams, like he turned it then looked at Alan at the right time with the right sort of look on his face, and I thought his speech was heartfelt and real. Uh, I loved it. I absolutely loved uh, his role on this, and um, I would say in comparison to when you see non-actors having to act on a show, I thought he did a great job. Yeah, I, I guess if you're comparing it in that sense, then then yeah. I would agree with you. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he he that Stephanie girl was probably you know just trying to get her feet wet in acting. And mm-hmm. no offense, Stephanie, if you actually had an acting career before that or after, uh, but uh, she clearly wasn't great. And I don't have any idea if Jim did any sort of commercials or any sort of acting, but I thought he was good in here. Um, yeah. After they finish this little heartfelt uh, speech, Alan you know, provides baseballs to his boys and asks him if Jim Abbott will sign it. And all these kids come in rushing through the back door. You know, it had to be at least like 10, 10 different boys. Oh yeah. That's everybody have... from their class, right? <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah, I guess. I don't really recognize all the kids, um, but it's possible. Now, I don't know if Larry was in there. I'm pretty sure he <laughs> no, he was still looking up Poser. <laughs> <laughs> so they all have balls, and Minkus brought a basketball, which is pretty darn funny. And mm-hmm. when he shows up, he says, "Apparently, I bought the wrong ball." They all showed up at the right time, dude. At, like at the same time, you're mm-hmm. running towards the house. He didn't notice that your ball was about twenty times bigger than everybody else's, <laughs> and orange. Like on your way there, um, I know they have to wait till he's actually on on screen for the punchline. But he should have come in late or through a different door or something. But uh, yeah. yeah, he realizes, and I'd say um, one thing that is accurate, though, kind of like when we were talking about, you know, being a uh, the Bat Boy, you know, for the World Series, based on the the Spelling Bee episode. Yeah, when something like that happens, all the kids kind of fall in line, 
um, and want to be a part of whatever's cool is happening. So he pretends to be interested in sports where he otherwise has no clue. Yeah. Clearly has no clue. Mm -hmm. There's definitely that sense of peer pressure to fit in. Yeah. The the kids at that age experience a lot more and you grow out of it as you get older. Mm Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Now we cut to the backyard and Corey's like tossing a baseball to himself and doing a little bit of role playing about catching a fly ball. And we're finally going to get the conclusion of our primary storyline. And the ball falls into uh, Feeney's yard. He picks it up and tosses it in a wooden box mm-hmm. that's like right by his door. And uh, and Corey starts name dropping and says like, "Oh, he's still going to be a center fielder because of uh, you know just a little friend of his dad's. Let's call him Jim Abbott." Um, mm-hmm. And says he's pretty much straightened out his future and he's going to uh, go into Major League Baseball after college this time. Mm-hmm. And uh, Feeney kind of pretends he doesn't know who Jim Abbott is, but he's an intelligent guy, and he, he's well aware of the world, so he probably does. And uh, he says it sounds like this Jim fellow you know, worked really hard to get where he was, um, and you know, it sounds like you learned something you know, from him. And Corey says he does, uh, or he did. And Corey asks if now he gets an A, uh, and Feeney says, oh, yes, well, Corey says, is this your little way of telling me I got an A? And Feeney says, no, this is my little way of saying play ball. And he takes the wooden box and dumps out a bunch of different balls right into Corey's yard. So he's been keeping them. Oh, yeah. Um, And (laughs) what grade does he get? (laughs) So um, he he got in trouble for not knowing, I guess, uh, all the investments and whatnot. So all he had to do in class was say, I'm going to go to college and then play ball. And this Yeah, which the... The mindset of teachers and yeah. society in general has changed since the mid nineties where it used to be, everybody has to go to college yeah, in order man. to succeed. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think college is for everybody. It's not. Um, I, I definitely think that you should know what you want to be by your senior year of high school um, mm. and know what you want to do before you start pursuing like a career. Um it's tough. Like I was in that situation. I went into college, not a hundred percent sure what I wanted to do. And you end up wasting a lot of time and a lot of money doing that. So. Yeah. Uh, I basically did the same thing. Uh, I ended up having two majors. I just stuck with community college and had two different majors in my time there, which was, I want to say about two years, uh, and eventually stopped going, you know, went mm-hmm. to the workforce. It took me a while to find my way. As far yeah. as not only what I wanted to do, but what I was capable of doing, because they might be two different things, especially if, if it's college education dependent. Isn't it kind of weird? Like, didn't the skills that you're using for your job now, isn't that skills that you developed while you were in high school? Yeah. Um, most of them were high school uh, self-taught. So uh, my my career is in IT. It's been that way for over a decade now. And mm-hmm. uh, growing up, I was you know, self-proclaimed geek, worked on computers, had to fix my own problems and fix other people's problems as well as just do fun stuff with them. Uh, mm-hmm. That led to me getting a pretty good understanding. And uh, I basically just got a break. Uh, a good company was hiring entry-level people, you know, for mm-hmm. you know, entry-level salary, of course. And they were willing to take on rookies. And I had kind of like an inside track because I knew somebody who knew somebody. I got an interview and I've been working in IT since. So uh, I, without that shot, because I wasn't even sure I believed I could do it, but then someone gave me the criteria of what they're looking for for this entry-level role. And I was like, yeah, I can do that. 
and I was able to fake it well enough until I learned the job, you know, and they were willing to be patient with me mm-hmm. so, as I tried to learn. So um, there were a few things. I did take some computer courses in college that I kept with me, some of the information, okay, particularly about like Linux operating systems, which I thought were really cool. But um, if I had never went, though, I don't know if my path would have changed any. Yeah. You know? So did you go to college because you felt like it was a necessity that was the next oh step what you had yeah. to do? My sister and I were just talking about this. So we're two years apart, so we could relate really well to the generation you, know, you were just describing. In school, they were like, go to college or you're a loser. They didn't say yeah. that. They are like, if you want any good job, like they basically threatened you. And I don't mean to talk badly about any profession that anybody has, but it's like, if you don't go to college, you're going to be stuck doing this, you know, whether it be the trope of McDonald's, pumping gas or whatever. Um, and I certainly don't mean to poke fun at either of those uh, roles. Um, yeah. It's something that, that our schools would do, like scare tactics. And they sent all of these, at the time, kids to school to amass a tremendous amount of debt and come out having no idea what they want to do. And some of them you get degrees in their major and don't want to pursue it at the end. They spend four years, sometimes more. And a lot of money mm-hmm. uh, to invest in something they that is never going to be a part of their life again. And also because one of the things that you said made me raise an eyebrow when you said you should know what you want to do in twelfth grade, I th- or your senior year. Um, what I think you were getting at, and correct me if I'm wrong, was if you're going to jump right into college, you should know what you're pursuing. Yeah, that that was otherwise, the intent of my statement. Yeah, otherwise wait. Mm-hmm. Or if it turns out what you want to do. It's not appropriate for for college. Don't go or go to a trade school. Or if you want to work in construction, which can be a great job, um, mm-hmm. it keeps you physically fit and has a lot of other great benefits to it. Go get a job like entry level. You know, clean up nails for a construction company until they give you a shot. You know, to do some framing, and they will teach you on the job. You know, and you'll make money the entire time. <laughs> while yeah. doing it rather than investing um, no, your money. I shouldn't even say investing. Rather than throwing away your money at an education you're never going to use. Yeah. So, yeah, this this is around that time where it was mm-hmm. like college or loser. Yeah. It was. But, but, which, and when you, there's a lot of people, I didn't mean to take over. I'll let you uh, get back to your thought, but there's a lot of people, especially our age, you know, this uh, millennial generation, generation Y, I guess, um, who just have a tremendous amount of debt, private or federal student loans, and they're just like hoping for a buyout. You know? Yeah, someone like like Joe Biden to, to buy out all the student debt because otherwise they have no other way to pay it off. It's just yeah, it's going to be with them for life. I'm lucky enough that I'm not in that, but my debt is manageable. Yeah, um, yeah. without being a, like a hindrance to my lifestyle. Yep, but. And you 100% did the right thing with kicking off with community college. And yeah. I know there's like this thing where it's like, oh, if you don't go away to college, you're not really in college or something. Like you got to leave mm-hmm. the state or at least be far enough for an inconvenient drive and sleep there. You know, but those those two years saved you a ton of money. Um, I know a lot of other people who have done the same thing. And it's a very wise choice. Even if it's not the attractive one, it's not the one you see in movies. You know, yeah. Where everyone just runs off to to different states and big schools. Yeah. Um, any other comments about the, this almost final scene? This is really the, all we have left is really like a, uh, a post credit scene. Anything, uh, anything to add? Uh, I, I just thought it was funny what Corey was wearing with the, 
the long sleeve shirt underneath the the short sleeve shirt. Like the Family Guy thing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> long sleeve shirts on the short sleeve shirts on the long sleeve shirts. <laughs> uh, that was definitely a thing. Um, I don't want to go too hard into it, but when they get into middle school and beyond, they're always wearing white undershirts with like loose flannels or loose like Hawaiian shirts on top, mm-hmm. whether they're short or long sleeve. Usually short. It was such a bad look, and even then, looks terrible. Um, <laughs> yeah, really Corey's Corey's way. version of it was like one step away from Mardi Gras colors. He had purple and yellow. He was just missing green. Really? Oh man, I didn't take note of that at all. That's interesting. I, I just feel like those are two colors that most boys don't wear: yellow and purple. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it caught my attention. You're a Lakers fan, right? And you can call it gold <laughs> all you want. It's yellow. You yeah. Know? Um, <laughs> but, yeah. Uh. All right, so after the credits, we come back for our final scene, and it's Alan and Amy on the couch. And we're going to get kind of a conclusion to our tertiary storyline here. Mm-hmm. So Alan, as they're watching some sort of stupid talk show, and they're eating ice cream, I think, Alan asks Amy if she thinks she married a failure. And it's because he didn't, he didn't become an architect and didn't build bridges. And she tells him, she gives him the absolute right response. So she has a good job where people respect you, uh, a lovely family, um, you know, basically a beautiful wife <laughs> um and they start to make out on the couch until uh cory shows up with the camcorder yeah magically fixed opening scene yeah and alan goes to to chase him away for you know infringing upon their private time and then we're done yeah so any uh any final thoughts or comments yeah <laughs> so th- they just get to the point where like they're kissing and Corey's like videotaping it which is completely weird <laughs> And like interrupts them, right? Yeah, it's super awkward. Yeah, and he like says like I want to see some action, and I just couldn't help but think like, good oh, thing God. he didn't show up five minutes later. Oh my god! <laughs> and we had something like this in a uh, in one of our first eight episodes too. I forget which one it was. We're like, no, this is awkward. You know, yeah, it's about the relations. So never did anything remotely like that. No. Yeah, that that is weird. Uh, yeah. Sometimes I wonder um, when people write these shows, and I know it's supposed to be silly and lighthearted, but were they kids? You know, like you're writing the show. Do you remember what it was like to be a kid? Your parents doing anything like that was gross. You would have put down the camera and said, break it up here. You know what I mean? That's what we did. Boom. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. All right. I think that uh, concludes our episode, Mark, unless you have any other final thoughts. No, that's it. All right. Well, uh, I will say it's um, it's really good to be back doing this. Definitely missed it. Um, you know, hopefully we can keep going. And um, you know, I'll see you for the next episode.